Hear the word of the Lord. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you. Uh, my name's Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us and want to know more about the church or ways, if there's ways that we can serve you, there's a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it at the welcome table on your way off or way home, way out, something like that. So this is uh, our last Sunday going through our series on the five identities, who God is making us and how we become who he says we already are. Uh, what we normally do as a church is we take a book of the Bible and we just work our way through that. And I mean, I've been looking forward for about a year, our next series. Next week, we start a series on the book of Galatians. It's a book that has had the, I mean, when, when people have allowed God to speak to them through the book of Galatians, taken the word seriously, lived in light of them, it's flipped the world upside down several times. There's several revivals, great awakenings that you can go back and see the spark that got lit through the book of Galatians. The Methodist Church, if you've ever been involved in the Methodist Church or influenced or blessed by it, that started with a group of guys reading the book of Galatians out loud to one another. And so to get everybody hyped up about it, we got a trailer. You ready for the teaser trailer? Here we go. Maybe we can do a podcast review of it. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Snob-free reviews coming up after, huh? My man, all right. You all know that podcast. I know you listen to it. Um, so here's part of the reason why I'm so excited about it. The book of Galatians is all about freedom. Uh, it's about the reality that if you are set free, if the sun sets you free, you're not free just a little bit, right? You're not free maybe. You're free indeed. And most of us come this morning or at some point in your life enslaved to something. It could be an addiction. It could be a state of mind. It could be some kind of relationship, some kind of emotional state. Like there are addictions that enslave us. There are realities that we feel trapped by. And the reality that we have in Christ is that we can be set free from those things. We can be a people who walk with um, 
no burdens, light and easy through a, a life that's very difficult and confusing, but the hope of the gospel is we can be set free from that. And as I look at our church, as I look at my own life, uh, I don't feel like I'm experiencing that. There's, there's few of us that I see walking in the power, in the freedom, in the lightness that's promised to us in Christ. So that's where we're headed. Uh, you might know somebody who's enslaved by something, Feel free to invite them, bring them. Uh, we're going to put this video up online later today, and you can share it and get everybody hyped. Uh, the other thing I'm kind of excited about, just this is the last time we'll talk about it for a while, um, is the app. You probably have downloaded the app by now, I hope. You can go to whatever app store and search Sojourn Collective. Uh, but we, there's a lot going on in there that we really want to emphasize or try to make it helpful for you. So I'd want to point out one last thing here. Uh, since we're talking about servants, in the app, you can find information about almost everything that we do as a church and how you can get involved. So, for instance, if you open it up, there's a, there's a tab on the ministry section that says church family ministries. That's how do we take care of one another as the body of Christ here, as the church. And you'll see opportunities. If you're saying, what can I do that benefits a Sunday morning or is really emphasized on building the church, you can read about all the different ministries going on there. If you are interested in serving and helping the neighborhood, there's city renewal ministries. So like, this is all the stuff that's going on that our church is doing to make New Albany a better place to live. You know, healthy churches aren't just working on a great Sunday experience, but we want to be a blessing to our community and then to the world, whether it's through U.S. church planting, uh, supporting existing missionary teams, being a missionary yourself. So there's a lot of great stuff going on in the app, and there's real great opportunities for you to take your next step with Jesus. And part of the reason that we wanted to bring that up is, yeah, we wanted to make sure everyone's aware of what's going on in the app, uh, but, but more so like in our congregation, I, I see it all across the board. Um, about the only people I don't see this uh, condition that I'm about to talk about, I don't really see it in like the 60 plus crowd or the retirement crowd. So if you're in that crowd, I want you to know how important you are to our church. And I'm going to have some, uh, I'm going to ask you for some help here in a little bit, 55, 60 plus, or if you're retired. Uh, I call it the I don't know disease. And it goes something like this. Uh, somebody walks into my office or talks to one of the pastors and they're confused. Life is hard, right? Amen, anybody? Life is hard for everybody. And it's confusing for everybody at least some point in time. So someone will say, I don't know what to do with my life. And we'll say, what are you good at? And they'll say, I don't know. And we'll say, well, what do you want to do? And they'll say, oh, I don't know. And then we'll say, well, well, how has God used you in the past? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And it doesn't really matter what you ask of them. The I don't know has come out. And I think some of that is a generational deal. Where So I grew up and my friends, we were told that you can be anything that you want. You can do anything, you can be anything, you can become anything. And so at 12, you know, my, me and all my friends, like I'm going to be an astronomer, painter, doctor, marine biologist, firefighter, astronaut, right? And it's like, and so we, we tell people, you can be anything, you can do anything, whatever you want. What are you passionate about? And then they become 18 and we start asking them, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Right? Like we haven't asked them to do anything. A lot of parenting in the 70s, 80s, 90s became about pain management. How can I keep my kids from as much adversity, as much difficulty in life? And then they become these like listless, confused 23, 24-year-olds that we call millennials. And like, if you're mad at the millennials and you're over 45, I just want you to know you made them, right? <laughs> you made them. It was your parenting that did that, right? Like it was your culture that did that. 
which isn't to say it's all their fault. It means like we're all in this together, right? Like we're all, we're all in this together. One person's really excited about that. Um, and so my, my point in saying that is, is we give endless options and endless opportunity and we haven't empowered people, we've suffocated them. And now we have all of these young people that are drowning in their options and have no idea who they are, no idea what they're good at, no idea what they want to do or how they'll be used by God. And so this is a cultural problem. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you should be concerned about that problem, period, because these people will go work. Maybe, I don't know. Or you'll pay for them because they don't work, right? Like, it's, it's a huge problem. It's not just personal, this lack of self-awareness. There's also deep theological problems with it. Because listen, if, if you don't know who you are, you don't know who God's made you to be. That's that's a big breakdown there. And if you don't know who God's made you to be, you don't know how he wants to use you. Some of you don't even believe that he wants to use you. If you don't know who he's made you to be, you won't know how he wants to use you. If you don't know how he wants to use you, you won't know the gifts that he's given you to do those things. And you know, like any relationship, not just with God, but any relationship, if you don't know you, you can't know somebody else and you certainly can't let them know you. It's like being in a relationship with a poster on the wall. There's, there's things you can know about it. There's a degree of familiarity, but intimacy is not possible without self-knowledge and, and without two people having self-knowledge and bringing that together into a relationship. If, if we don't know how God wants to use us and who he's made us to be, I've seen it play out so many times, you guys. Life becomes so frustrating. We, we become paralyzed by inaction or bitterness and cynicism sets in, our relationship with God and others begins to feel incredibly superficial. And what can compound the problem if you're a Christian is you get to places in the Bible that say real clearly, you have a gift from God. He's given all of us gifts to bless the world around us. So you have a black and white verse that seems to contradict your experience or at least your self-perception. So like, listen, God reveals his glory. God reveals his goodness, his provision, not always, but nearly always through other human beings using their gifts. Think about a time in your life where you felt like God showed up for you. He did something for you. And I would almost guarantee there was another human being using their gifts involved in that some way. But how many of us really believe that? We can say in like a super Christian sense, yeah, God gives people gifts to do stuff. But how many of us can look ourselves in the mirror and say, he has given me gifts and I can name them. This is what I'm good at. This is how God has gifted me. How many of us can do that with a friend without trying to be like dismissive or defensive Christianity where we, we downplay it because we're afraid if we say we're good at something that we're selfish or arrogant or, or cocky or something like that? The, the I don't knows are rampant in our church and they're paralyzing most of us personally and in terms of our effectiveness for the mission of God. So we're ending this morning talking about our identity as servants. And this is not an activity, it's an identity. This isn't a sales pitch for here's the 17 things that we want you to start doing that you don't want to do here at the church. Uh, our identity as a servant invites us out of our amb ambiguity, out of our lack of self-knowledge, and into a world where we know who we are. We know what we have, and we know our part to play. The reality, if you're a Christian, is that you are called 
and equipped by God to serve. And at the same time, it's through your serving that you'll learn your gifts and become useful for the mission of God. So there's, there's three words in this familiar story that I want us to think about here. The first one is the word awareness. So Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. Uh, it's a normal day. It's a normal activity for them. There's nothing special going on here. And on their way in, a guy who can't walk, whose legs are all mangled and messed up, asks them for money. And so I want, I want you to think about it. today's opening day for NFL football, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're, we're there again. We made it. We made it. I'm sorry for the Colts fans out there today because it's about to go down. Yeah. Cincinnati Bengals, mean and hungry. Um, but you know, like reading this, it made me think of walking to an NFL game or any professional sports game because inevitably you're downtown and you're walking into the stadium and you see the guy, right, who's like kind of smelly, kind of dirty with the sign that says, you know, like veteran need help, homeless, anything helps, God bless, or something like that. And now what me and my friends do is we find a reason, like you check your phone or you talk to one another. You know, we play that game where you, you try to act like you didn't see them so you can walk by without feeling bad about the fact that we just ignore them. You're like, I got something to, I got something to do. I got a priority. I'm here for the game, not to do this whole deal. And what's your deal anyway? Look at what Peter and John do. It says, they looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. Think about how excited you might be if you're the homeless guy, right? The beggar there waiting for money. And these two look intently at them. That sounds kind of scary, intense at least, right? They look at him and they say, look at us. So first, there's this awareness here that God's always up to something. You see how open-handed they are? They're doing something important. They're going to church after all, right? But they let this guy interrupt them. They, they pay attention to him. They look at him. They don't rush away. They were aware that God is always up to something, even in the interruptions. And here's just maybe a side note for somebody. Like, God is not interested in your schedule or your timetables. I love the old song, like, we have an on-time God. Anybody know that song? Any of you know that song? We have an on-time God. God's not in a hurry. God's not in a rush. He doesn't look at your calendar and be like, man, I've got to figure out how to work in this divine miracle here. Like, he's on his own timetable, and their servants have an awareness that God is always up to something. So they say, look at us. Now, the text told us the beggar got excited because he thinks he's about to get some money, right? They say, he says, I need some money. And they say, look at me. Like maybe the, I finally found the rich guy. I finally got the right guy. Look at me. And then this is what Peter says to him. I don't have any silver or gold for you. <laughs> Which is like a womp womp moment for the beggar, right? <laughs> so think about this guy, okay? This story is a couple of verses long and we read through it so fast. But imagine these are real words and interactions. Like try to turn your imaginations on for a second and watch this story like a movie. Hey guys, can I get some money? Look at us. We don't have any money. You know, like what a like, what? Look at us. And then you're like, oh, we don't have any money. There's an awareness that God's up to something, but also there's an awareness here of what they don't have. Because of this, they have the ability to say no. When, when you know yourself and you know the part of the body that you're made to play, you can say no. A church that's filled with exhausted people who are doing everything all the time for everybody is a church filled with people who don't know who they are or they've got a really poor theology of the body of Christ, that we have different parts to play, different skills, different gifts. When you know the yes of your calling, you can say no much more 
easily. Now, before a bunch of you are like, oh man, I get to go say no to everything now. Um, You can go read the Gospels and, and read other sections of the book of Acts and find how often John and Peter are saying yes. So the way that you learn to say no is by first saying yes. Here's what I mean. Yes, I'll get out of the boat, Jesus, right? Like Peter did something that was a little bit crazy. Yes, I'll go where you send me. Like you'll see all of these yeses. We grow in our awareness of who we are and our gifts by saying yes. And oftentimes this will mean saying yes to nearly everything. Um, if you're here and you're in your 20s or younger, 20s, so let's say 30 and below, and this is especially true if you're in that age group and you're not married or you don't have children, and especially if you don't have a job, okay? So maybe you're a college student or you're figuring it out. I want you to know you have more time in your life than you will have for the rest of your life. Like You have more space in your day than you will have for the rest of your life. And listen, if, like, if, so the college students, I went to college, I know, I remember, um, the college students who are saying how tired you are and how stressed out you are, you have no idea what's coming for you, right? Like no one, no one told me how tiring 28 to 35 would be. And I'm the guy, right? Like I'm not the one who carried the baby in my body and stayed up all night. Like ladies, right, I, you know what I'm saying. Like you're about to be so tired. Um, and it's good. It's the fatigue of life, right? Like it's a good tired. But so listen, first, if you're, if you're, in that age group I talked about, those circumstances, you have more time than you will have until probably your late 60s. Uh, you've got more time. You've got more energy uh, than you will for the rest of your life. I went and had my physical earlier, my annual physical earlier this year, or earlier this week, and I saw him talk about some weird pains and stuff I was having, and he put his hands on my shoulder, and real lovingly, he's like 50, he looked at me and he says, welcome to 35, right? <laughs> like, I thought that was like 35 is like still kind of young, right? Um, but it's like stuff hurts now. Stuff doesn't hurt in your 20s. So you've got more time, you've got more energy. And then on the other side of the coin, a little bit more negatively, most of you have no idea who you are, right? You, you, you got a little bit of life experience. Our best neuroscientists will say your brain's not fully online until 25, so if you're below 25, this isn't an indictment, it's just reality. If you're under 25, your brain doesn't even work yet, right? Like, it's not even totally online. It's, it's working, but I mean, it's not where it's, it's going to be. So listen, you should be saying yes all the time. If you're in that age group or if you're in that kind of life circumstance, you should be saying yes all the time. You should be going to bed tired. And this isn't like a guilt, pick up the slack kind of a deal. It's because what's yours to do in your 20s? It's to figure out who you are and what are you good at? And how do you do that? By saying yes all the time. Yes, I'll serve here. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I will go do this. If you say yes long enough, you'll learn your gifts, your place, and who you are, what you have, and you'll begin to be able to say no to what's not yours and yes to the unique part of the body God has made you to be. And you'll be able to be like Peter and John who can come up with an awareness of what they don't have, an awareness that God is up to something, but a sobriety to be able to say, we can't do this. The invitation to be a servant is an invitation into self-awareness, learning who we are 
and what we have. But awareness is not enough, though, because you can know what you're good at and not do it, right? Or you, you can know what you have and not share it or, or not give it. So your awareness has to be accompanied by a willingness. That's an open-handedness, a willingness to put your gifts to use. So this is a confusing conversation. Look at us. We don't have any money. And then he follows that with, but I'll give you what I do have. I don't have what you want, but I will give you what I do have. They, they know both what they don't have and what they do have. They know what they can say no to and what they can say yes to. And they were willing to give it away. Here's what I have and I will give it to you. And so if you know the story, you know it gets supernatural here in a second. Some, a crazy miracle happens. But I, I want to put that on pause for a second. Pretend like you don't know what's about to happen. What I want us to see here is that they knew what they had and they were willing to give it away. This willingness portion is really uh, where the, how oh, would I put it? Maybe like the, the pendulum or the crux of our servant identity balances. Uh, we like to look out at our church and say there's three kinds of servants or three ways that you can be a servant. There's a selfish servant. They only serve themselves or, or they only serve when it makes them look good or it furthers their mission. We don't have this problem as much as we used to, but we had all earlier on in the life of this church, we had all of these seminary students that were called to preach, but nothing else. It's like God's given me the gift of preaching on Sunday mornings. Uh, well, what about the gift of like making coffee? or the gift of shoveling snow, or the gift of serving our children. No, that's not my part in the body. And we're just real skeptical of a 22-year-old who's certain of what they know, not because we're like ageists, but because you don't know. And if, if you're only willing to serve on a platform or a place that looks impressive, then you're probably not ready to serve at all. So a selfish servant is the person who only serves to make themselves look good or to further their own mission. Uh, I think more of us fall into the selective servant category. A selective servant only does what they like when it's convenient. So they only do stuff that they enjoy when it fits into their schedule. Their, their service is based on affinity and convenience. So I do the tasks that I like when it works for me. And finally, we have servants of all. These are the people that have been created, called, and equipped to serve. All of us have. It's Peter and John here. They know what they have, and they're willing to give it. It doesn't matter what that thing is. Do you realize this isn't a convenient time for Peter and John here? Like they have, they've got a schedule to keep. They're doing something. They're, they've got plans, and they allow the interruption, and they see here's an opportunity. If you didn't know a miracle was about to happen, because we, we can look at this and be like, oh my gosh, Peter did a Jedi mind trick or lived, Ray did something amazing, cast a spell on the guy and think how cool this would be. If you were watching this play out in the moment, this doesn't look cool, right? We're walking to church and there's this guy who's been sitting there for years and years and years and years, interrupting them again. Why are they talking to, the, like, if you didn't know a miracle was coming, this does not look flashy or impressive. Most of us here either have an awareness issue or a willingness issue. We don't know what we're good at, or we know what we're good at, but we're just not really into this whole serving thing, or, or we're, not, we're not willing to be inconvenienced. So we're stuck either being selfish or selective. The way out, this, this last word is a, it's a word I think we see it clearly in these two guys, especially in Peter. And it's a word that's fallen on hard times 
at least in southern Indiana, I think, and it's the word courage. Um, if you're a Christian, then somewhere deep inside of you, you know that you are made to serve God and others. Being a servant is not uh, optional, as you know, the prophet Dylan sang for us earlier today. You're always serving somebody. You're serving yourself. You're serving other people. You're serving your children. There's, there's somebody that your life is about. There's some mission your life is about. But what we hear so often in, in our church when we talk about serving in the church or any idea of using gifts is, well, I'm not ready for that. Um, I haven't been to seminary. It's one of the worst parts about being in a seminary town. Like, I went to seminary. I'm pro-seminary in a lot of ways. But there's all these people that are like, I can't do anything in the church because I don't have a degree in theology. I can't do anything in church because I'm not on church staff, and aren't the staff supposed to do all the stuff? I'm certainly not a pastor. Like, I'm so grateful that Peter is one of the apostles, and so many of his failures are preserved for us in the Bible. This is a little side note. I'm off manuscript here for a second. I hope some of you aren't Christians or like are super skeptical about the Bible. I just want you to think about it for a second. If you were going to invent a religion, would you include in the book all of these stories about how dumb you are? Do you ever thought and think about that? Would you include all of these stories of the dumb stuff that you did? If I were writing this book, if I were going to make up sagism or something like that, I would not write the parts in there that make me look like the bad guy or the idiot. And yet we have all of these things going on in the New Testament in particular of Peter doing foolish, foolish things. They're going on faith here in this moment. I, we read it so fast and we think it happens so fast. But you remember the disciples weren't always able to pull off the miracles, right? You remember that one time they were trying to cast out a demon and they came to Jesus and were basically like, it's out of batteries or something. Like they, it didn't work. And Jesus had to come in, right? You guys remember the story? He's like, you can't, that one only comes out by prayer and fasting. Let dad take care of this kids, right? Like they had failed doing something supernatural before but Peter's willing to take a crack at it again. And so I want, again, try to turn your imaginations on, put yourself in the shoes of Peter, and feel what this scenario would be like. Peter has a whole bunch of failures behind him. He knows the ways he screwed up, but he takes a crack at it. Like Peter's a fire-ready-aim kind of a guy, and I like him for it. And so this is what he says to the guy, right? Look at me. I want some money. I don't have money. What I do have, I will give to you. And then he goes totally charismatic here. Watch what he says. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And we're like, yeah, do it, Peter. Right? Like, it's fiery. He's going to do something amazing here. But you can see this in your bulletin, or you can see this, this stories in every one of your Bibles. And again, it reads so fast for us, but put us there. He says this, and nothing happens. How do you know nothing happens? Because look what it says he does. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand and helped him up. There's nothing about healing yet. So Peter stops on his way to church. Says, no, I don't have the money you want. But then he does something gutsy. He says, get up and walk. And then he's got to reach down and help the guy up. How gutsy is that? You see what I'm saying? If I were in that scenario, I'd be like, man, I said the thing, and the guy popped up and started dancing around. That's what I'm expecting. But what's going on in you to say, get up and walk? <laughs> Here, let me help you, right? Like, you see how crazy that is? You see the courage 
that's at work here, I would be panicking, still not working. And then here's what happens. As he did, how beautiful is that? As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He says it, not healed. He reaches down to pick him up, that second great act of courage there, still not healed. But as he's coming up, then he's healed. They have the courage to stop and be interrupted, the courage to offer help and tell this man to be healed, the courage to reach out his hand and help him up. And in that process, God shows up and the man is healed. What if Peter, as he's hearing this guy call out to him, had said, oh man, what if it's like the time I tried to cast that demon out? You know what I'm saying? What if I say something and it doesn't work? I'm gonna make Jesus look so bad. Or he's got worse stories than you. What if he had thought, what if this is like the time I tried to protect Jesus thinking I was doing something really good and Jesus called me Satan? (laughs) I wasn't meant to be funny. It's kind of funny, but I know you've screwed up, but has Jesus ever called you Satan? Right? Like you did something you thought was a good idea and he looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. What if, What if he said, what if this is like the time where I start so good and then I take my eyes off of Jesus and I sink in the water? You see, like Peter had failure back there. What if Peter had believed that voice that said, God will never use me after what I did to him? Not just those failures, but like I'm the guy that said I didn't know him three times. Being a servant means having the courage to step out in faith and trust God for the results. I love that Peter says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He doesn't say, I, Peter, an apostle sent by God, heals you now. Or some, like it's not about Peter at all. He's he's stepping out and trusting God to do something. It's an amazing story. Three verses. So let's get, let me wrap up by, trying to get practical here for a second. There's some hugely important lessons for us in this story. Uh, The first is that our gifts are found through serving. If you're here this morning and you really struggle with what am I good at or what part of the body does God want me to play, I encourage you to start serving. Um, And I don't really care where. You've got an invitation uh, in your bulletins to serve on the Connect team because all you have to do is show up next Sunday. Sign that, start serving. And we talk about the app, so you can see there's lots of opportunities for you. Um, And I'll just be honest with you. I don't really care where you serve. Um, I don't really care if you're interested in that ministry. And I really don't care if you enjoy it or not. I just want you to start. I want you to follow Peter and start saying yes. Don't be defeated by your failure. Start saying yes. And as you do, three months in, six months in, ask people around you, what do you think I'm good at? We've been serving together for a while now. How do you see God using me? If you're in that older crowd, 55 up, you know what you're good at, I'm guessing. We desperately need you to tell us what you see us being good at. 
If you serve with somebody who's younger than you and a good bit younger than you, you need to speak words of life into them. Affirm the gifts that you see in them. So as we serve, pick a place, get to serving, ask other people, where do you see God using me? And listen, I'm going to talk about more of this in a second, but you may not have the gift that you think you do. And I would be almost sure you don't have the gift that you want. Um, here's like, I wish I had the gift of evangelism. I wish I had Gary Allman's gift of evangelism. Somebody walks in for a cup of coffee and they're like, and can you teach me the ways of life and following Jesus? Like wherever he or Pastor Travis go or people like Glenda Faith, like people just become Christians around them. And I want that. Like I love talking to people about Jesus. It comes naturally to me. I love sharing the gospel and no one ever responds. Like in my life, I've shared the gospel 8,712 times and two people have responded and one of them was a Christian longer than three months. You know what, like, I have no fruit there. Which breaks my heart, but it's also what's real. The best place for you in God's family is the place that he designed and gifted you to be. And that may not be the place that you want it to be. But listen, if you don't know who you are or what you're good at, that should make you very skeptical of any desires you have too. If you don't know who you are and what you're good at, how do you know what you want is actually what you want? Serve somewhere and you'll find one of two things. You're good at it and God uses you there or you're not good at it and God doesn't use you there. I suppose you could be good at it and God doesn't use you there, so that would be three. But you'll learn something there, right? About who you are and what you have. If you know that, you can serve somewhere else or keep serving there. And over time, you will learn who you are and what you have. Know your gifts by serving. Second, serving is about blessing. When you see gifts talked about in the, church, or in the Bible, it's always about building up the church. It's about building up other Christians. It's about us becoming healthier. And we have to know this if we're going to possibly have a gift that's different than the one we want. Too many of us think that our joy is found in our activity and not in our identity. Again, here's how this has looked for me. With that whole gift of evangelism thing, I was going to be, I dreamed, I spent a decade trying to be a traveling guitar player. And I was going into bars and nasty joints, and I was going to play these heartbreaking songs, and I was going to talk to people about Jesus and reach all of these people for Jesus that would never set foot in a church. And this was going to be my ministry. I worked at it. I sacrificed for it. I really thought that this is what I wanted. Never once in my life did I sit like in the backyard and wistfully look to the sky and say, oh, when I can preach one day. Or like, oh, if only I could be a pastor. This was never my dream. But after four or five years of doing the music stuff, close friends started looking at to me, or coming to me. These people who had seen my shows and done my records and all that kind of stuff, they looked at me and they're like, you know, your music's fine, which is always a great, you know, first encouragement. Your music's fine, but when people really respond to you is when you tell stories about God. It does something in them. And I was like, that's weird. I wish you would have said I was a good singer. Um, and then... And then I started having older Christians in the church who had watched me for a few years say, you've got the gift of teaching. And I would say, I don't want to teach. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a, like a melancholy, mediocre singer-songwriter, right? Like... <laughs> and life was hard and frustrating. 
when I kept trying to hold on to this thing that I thought I wanted. My life changed when I started pursuing my identity over my activity. And not to say that my identity is that of a pastor, but that of a servant. What if what these people are saying is true about what I'm good at? And I stopped listening to myself and I started listening to them. And it had this moment of risk where it's like, they say I'm good at this. What if I start trying to do what they say that I'm good at or where they see God using me? When you find the part of the body that God gave you to be, when you find the part he's made you to play, there is glorious joy in that, even if it's not the activity that you wished for. My life was miserable when I was doing what I thought I wanted and what I thought were my gifts. And now doing something that is not what I thought my gifts were, like I have abundant joy. And it's not because I have to be a pastor. It's because I think I'm living as a servant. I'm finding the part of the body that he gave me to play. When you serve, when you toil, you do so because you want to build up the body and be a servant, not, not like live your dreams or something. And when you do that, the, the joy you get, the peace you get are glorious side effects. Your gifts have been given to you not to make your wildest dreams complete, but to build up the church and help present each other mature in Christ. So you learn your gifts by serving. Your gifts are about blessing and building. And the last word of encouragement I have for all of us is to keep trying, to not give up. Everybody in this room has been given a gift for the sake of blessing their community. I know that few of us know it. I know that many of us battle almost constant discouragement or that refrain of, I don't know enough, I don't have enough, I haven't studied enough, I haven't trained enough, like all of the things that convince us we shouldn't. But, but listen to me. In his resurrection, Jesus pronounces victory over all opposition. What is it that holds you back? Is it your guilt over what you've done? Thanks be to God for the cross where he says, you're not in trouble anymore. You're just not in trouble anymore. If you come to church this morning feeling like you're in trouble, then you've misunderstood the cross of Christ where it says all of our sin has been laid on him. Well, it's like, okay, I'm not in trouble, but I'm still worthless. God did that because he's just, not because he loves me. Well, in the resurrection, we see that Jesus promises new life and says not even the gates of hell can overcome what I'm going to do in you. Okay, well, maybe he likes me. I know it says in love he chose me, but that doesn't mean he's going to use me. Really, well, he ascends into heaven, much to the dismay of the disciples, and says to them, I will send my spirit to you. He will empower you. He will lead you. Like, listen, if you're a Christian, you just can't fail. Even if you're the thing you try doesn't succeed, you'll fail and find you're not dead, right? Like your soul hasn't been crushed because you remain secure in the hands of God. His love for you is not conditional. It's based solely on what Christ has done for you. You, you just can't lose. Your identity is secure. Your identity doesn't rest in the results. So what does that mean? It means go try something. Serve somewhere. Find who you've been made to be and go do that. And listen, on that journey of discovery, don't give up. Don't let one failure, don't let 10 failures, don't let a year, five years, or 10 years of mistakes convince you that God's through with you or his story is over for you. Find who you are. You will find the presence of God. Find who you are, and you will find the Spirit of Christ living inside of you. And so we remember this glorious promise that he uses us, that he loves us, that he's with us uh, by remembering the night that he was betrayed. And listen to this. He says, this is my body broken for you. Remember what I've done for you. 
This is how Peter could not look back and say, what if it's like this again? How could God use me again? Because he believed this. The body of Christ was broken for you. Therefore, if any was in Christ, there's now no condemnation for them. You're not in trouble anymore. All of your sins have been cast on him. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Do you know what that means? What makes you safe with God? What seals your relationship with God? Well, it's how, it's how my marriage is going. No, it's your moral performance last week. No, it's your faithfulness and your friendships. No, it's your devotional habits. No, it's your ministry successes. No, like, do I need to keep going? What makes you safe with God, loved by God, secured with God, by God? It's the blood of Jesus. It has precious little to do with you. You see that? Which means you can't screw it up. So if you were safe with God, freed by God, empowered by God, what would you go do? Maybe you would serve somewhere that you're not that interested in. Maybe you just couldn't care less about middle school students, but you're assuming that there's opportunities there. So you go start serving. I don't care what it is. Go find who you are. You'll find the presence of God. You'll find your place in the body of Christ, and something beautiful will happen here. Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread or wine, remembering what Christ ripping off a piece of bread, dipping it in wine or juice, remembering what Christ has done for us. The wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left and your right. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I just want you to know, like you can know who you are, and you can be enlisted in a supernatural mission to make all things new again. Like God isn't just after your soul, as precious as that is. We, we are a militia. We are an army of people pushing back the darkness of this world, bringing justice, bringing order, bringing restoration to brokenness. And there is a place for you in this family. If you want to come and learn what that means, there'll be men and women up front afterwards that would love to talk to you about it. Uh, I'll pray for us. And then Christians, you can come forward and participate in communion.